Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Welcome, Wheatland. This is Cross Reference. <laughs> With Dan Spanger, uh, your host here with uh, this week, Pastor Luke LeDuc, um, who is uh, in the pulpit again, walking us through um, this Advent story in Genesis, the Advent story of Abraham. Um, mm-hmm. And I have to say, Luke, for the Advent sermons as, as you're delivering them, is I usually see a few more, a little more glitz, glitter, happiness, you know, <laughs> joyful carols going on, some snowmen involved. Oh, um, I'm not seeing people. any of that in this Advent yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it has been uh, a bit of a downer, hasn't it? And I, I even though I named the title, la- I had laughter in the title. It's it sort of a, it didn't really dress it up. Well, that. you provided some laugh lines. Let's, well, let's say yeah, that. that's true. Irreverent as though they may have been. Exactly. But uh, I'm grateful I didn't have to explain them to my children. So they weren't, they were just, yeah. just off center enough that I didn't I, have to. Yeah, do I tried to just be oblique enough. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's masterfully right. done, by the way. That's funny. But um, no, I think I think this is the first year that I've I, I've thought this way about Advent for a while. But I think even um, in the years past, I, I'd have to go back and look and be sure. But I think I've had more of a focus on this one who is coming it, it in. And when I'm thinking about the one who's coming, I'm thinking about the first uh, coming a lot during Advent. And I've always known that, I've always believed that Advent is meant to be looking ahead. But I've, I felt like this year, um, it was really appropriate based on our own experiences as a congregation, mm-hmm. our own um, sits im Leben, as the <laughs> Germans would say, our own situation in life, our own circumstance in life. Um, that we really focus in on the second coming. And traditionally, uh, the more I read, the more I'm convinced that um, that's what uh, Advent was meant to do when it was first initially celebrated. Of course, yeah. it's not, the Advent isn't in the Bible. There's no prescription in the scriptures about how Advent is to be celebrated. Mm. Um, it's something that comes up in the life and practice of the church through the wisdom uh, of church fathers and, and just yeah. through the church's collective experience and wisdom to say, hey, we need to take some time to look ahead and think deeply and longingly for the coming again of Jesus. So anyway, yeah, you're right. It hasn't been uh, 
fireside uh, moments and yeah. fuzzy. No Bing Crosby. Yeah. Mm. But but you you know you said this you said this a while ago when we started Genesis, which I thought is helpful against even some of the um, some of the ways we read the Bible. That that it is it is a reading it backwards is is a crucial piece of this. Mm. I, and and Jesus seems to do that when he seems to talk about the end of his kingdom. Somehow, you know, the telos, you've used that, we've used that word before in different podcasts, but right. Revelation 1, 21, 22 is the light shed back on this. And I, mm. and I think if that's true, yep. then Jesus is not just setting up Advent simply for his first coming. He's setting it up mm-hmm. so that it's something that Revelation 21, 22 finally go back and explain and make. And if we can't, you know, really in my mind, if we can't read the scriptures backwards like that, then we've got no, we've got no right to read it at all because it, yeah. god is the story ender he's the story right. he's the beginning and the end so and and it was always going somewhere the, right. the whole point of the scriptures are that this is where everything's always been going right. and how can we not go back and read in in light of that yeah exactly yeah. so i mean it doesn't seem out of i think it's 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 exciting because i think it gives the scriptures more of a unity you know, it seems very linear to people. You're building up, and this is half, and this is half, and finally get Jesus, and that's right. You almost see the whole story coming out, and you almost get all these dimensions built. Yeah. So that we understand what Jesus is doing, and we only understand what Jesus is doing because we understand in Revelation what He promises to ultimately do. So yeah. I, I think that is helpful to put that way. Now you, now yeah. I have to say though, you you said this, you put this in the title, you put laughter in the title. Yeah. And and it it came around in a surprising way. I was not uh, aware, and maybe I was from seminary days and just forgotten, but I wasn't aware. That Isaac's name means laughter. And, mm, he laughs, and the whole yeah. point of Sarah's approach to this is to laugh in one sense and then to laugh later. Mm-hmm. There is a sense in which the promise fulfilled does lead to a different kind of laughter. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I was captivated by that um, last week and thinking about, I, I, <clears throat> I'll be honest with you, I started these, this Advent series knowing that I was going to do the life of Abraham for Advent, because I just thought of waiting with Abraham and would be a a useful thing. It would play off of the the sort of base of knowledge that we'd already built coming out of Genesis 1 through 11. It'd be a nice natural flow. But I didn't know exactly which episodes from Mm. his life that I was going to tackle. So I've kind of been wrestling. I I sketched one out, but I've changed it uh, even from what I've sketched. But this laughter thing what what really got me was looking at the laughter of despair that both Abraham and Sarah share. And then um, it just got me thinking about how, how much laughter gets transformed, you know, throughout the, that Psalm that I put in the, in the, uh, on the inside cover of our order of worship from 126. And then Jesus words as, at least as Luke has it, you weep now, but you will laugh. And that, that just all made an impact. And I, I wanted to sort of walk through that transformation myself right. in studying. And I felt right. like, oh, wow, yeah, I think there really is something here for us. Now, typically we would, you, you did something really interesting with the laughter, I thought, because we could say at the end, there's a joy. So, mm. you know, we don't want to be, um, I don't know, meaningless or absurd or ridiculous to just giggle. There seems yeah. to be a laughter, seems to be a laughter of joy, although mm. there seems to be some guffawing going on, some actual <laughs> laughter. Yeah, but the yeah. first part of the laughter um, is is a bit jarring compared to, I think, as fundamentalists, our own background, where we prize certainty and we prize, um, you know, this this unshakable faith and we know yeah. what's true and we don't. And, and doubt is there. Yeah. We, we sort of push it off to the side. 
But the first time you address laughter, when it's either Abraham falling on the ground or Sarah secretly behind the tent Mm -hmm. flap doing Mm so, you you didn't seem to say that this was something we should avoid. This was what a what a huge mistake on Sarah's part that she would even do this. But you seem to say this was not only natural, but there was something. I don't be careful about this, but something even you'd recommend about it. Yeah. And yeah, that, it, that's, that's jarring with our own, I think, fundamentalist evangelical sort of approach to this. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think um, I think it is jarring, but I think it's jarring to not to our credit, in a sense, um, okay. because. Part of this comes out of pastoral ministry and experience, I think, um, to see many of my contemporaries uh, and others who grew up in that world that really, as you described it, that prized certainty and um, almost uh, not only prized it, but almost required certainty uh, for the people that I pastor and have pastored in the past and uh, to see them oppressed by the fact that their struggle to embrace some of these things um, felt like they were counted out of the club. Mm -hmm. It was like the club was certainty. And as long as you could be certain about some of these things, then you could be in the club. But if you Mm -hmm. couldn't be certain, it puts you outside on the margins. And to come back and see Father Abraham and Mother Sarah wrestle with this and to see God's response to it to be continuing to unfold himself to them through it, rather than sort of, as I put it in the sermon at some point, demanding that they um, let go of their incredulity um, or their unbelief. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's just a really helpful part and of the even, narrative. Even the way you, you have the Lord, which, and you didn't get into whether that is a pre-incarnate. Yeah, Christ. there's, boy, that's an interesting discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the word Lord here could be used in other ways, but it, mm-hmm. I think you're right in the sense that the, isn't it true that most Old Testament scholars think that that Abraham's seeing something else here in the writer? Yeah, yeah, he, I, I think I <clears throat> I'll just give you my quick take on it. It's this is not uh, sort of um, definitive because there are other takes on it, but I really feel like this is a convincing case for this being a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Um in in other traditions, like I think in the Russian Orthodox Church, there's a faint, I read this, I don't know this just because I know this, but I read this in, in the course of my studies last week, that in the Russian Orthodox Church, there is a famous icon of the Trinity that uses these three visitors uh, sitting down for a meal in the presence of Abraham as a, a as, as an icon of the trinity and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not getting into a theology of icons here but just simply to say that some people have understood this not not simply as uh, a pre-incarnate appearance of jesus but as uh the trinity um i sort of lean because of what happens in chapter 19 where the two angels go to sodom mm-hmm. um i sort of feel like these are two angels that are with Jesus. But again, all this is, you know, it's a little bit speculation. Yeah. 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 I get that. And I, I mean, there is, you know, I, I love the Orthodox though. I do for lots of, lots of reasons. I think they play the, I think they play the image of God a little high in mm. the theosis mm. and the, 
the idea mm -hmm. that so that God the Father might actually appear that way it seems mm -hmm. like scripturally in the Old Testament that's not the case. Mm -hmm. um, right. It seems like Jesus is is that mm -hmm. point person in the in the Trinity right. who can actually yeah. engage with us. Exactly. Which, yeah. Again, theologically pre-incarnate. Could he? Could this be a messenger that you know yeah. Michael or something? Right. Um, that, that that that's that's one point. But the the fact that the Lord hears it and calls her out, not yeah. derisively. Yeah. But in a, in a moment, you seem to be saying of, of grace, like, I'm, I want you to hear yourself. I want yeah. you to know in yourself that you laugh. Yeah. And I think I put it, he wants Sarah to know that he knows, mm -hmm. the, like mm -hmm. she's not keeping that uh, disbelief or, or that difficulty to embrace this promise to herself. Like he mm -hmm. knows. And in spite of knowing that she can't quite embrace it because she knows herself he is going to do it in spite of that yeah i think that's a powerful point yeah yeah and it and it it goes to this idea that our relationship god with god is i think we use the word relationship mm. because we have to be related somehow and i think it can be there's lots of mistakes can be made with that word but the one thing it does in tone is the fact that these are two personalities people mm, mm -hmm. actually engage with one another at the at the person level right <laughs> and right. like anything i mean it's it's honesty transparency doubt is a, is a normal yeah. thing and it doesn't yep. seem like god doesn't tells us don't doubt in my presence that's absurd he knows us anyway so we're right. we willing to yeah. actually engage him where we are as human beings and come to him honestly and say this and i this is i you know my conversation with students sometimes say you know if, if you, you know, it seems like the psalmist is not afraid to say, God, this sucks. All right. The whole mm -hmm. thing does. I don't mm -hmm. like what you're doing. And yeah. I, I say that and students get like, Ooh, Ooh, you know, why, why are you saying that? I'm like, right. because it does. Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying anything against God's character. Right. I'm saying, I don't like it. Yeah. And it seems like that that's a fairly normal thing that people in relationship might say so that I can mm -hmm. be corrected. Not so that God can go, Oh, geez, I'm sorry. I screwed up, but right. Sorry to offend you, Dan. Yeah. Sorry to offend yeah. you, Dan. Gee whiz. I didn't know that was going to be so upsetting. Right. Um, no, but it, it does, but it does allow me honestly. And I think that's what I liked about your approach to Sarah. It allows God to say, honestly, I know you do. I know you're laughing. Yeah. And I know yeah. you find this ridiculous. Yeah. And 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 that if you didn't find it ridiculous, um, you wouldn't actually be thinking properly. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be living in the real world that it is, the one that's been broken by sin and, and affected by the I mean, there I I think uh I, I may have said this at some point in the sermon somehow, but like we confess original sin and a doctrine of sin, but we often functionally don't want to tr follow that out to its logical and, it, and the depth and the power and the brokenness that that idea has worked in the world. Yeah. And um, I think until we face that, and, and, and I, again, I said this in the sermon, I think that's what Advent is doing for us, yeah. is, is reframing how how awful things are apart from the rule and reign of, of King Jesus and how that is the only thing. Yeah. But you're talking to people with air conditioners. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, in medicine and penicillin, it, you know, is it, it, you know, maybe this makes better sense when you're, when you're living on the frontier or you're in mm -hmm. Sub-Saharan Africa or something, but mm -hmm. here, I mean, come on, haven't we got it largely nailed down? I mean, I can come home, I can have basically whatever I want for dinner. I, I go to bed in a comfortable bed. And I get, yeah. Heat. I mean, what it, you don't feel the absurdity very easily right. when you so curated your life around you 
so that the world follows your patterns, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't, I mean, it does, it gets us all eventually, whether right. it's death or accident or right. whatever the case may be, but it doesn't feel like the world's as absurd as you're making it out to be. Yeah, and I think part of, part of what a real Christian um, anthropology does is talks about death and faces the fact of death in the world in a very different way than maybe many moderns. I, I, in the past, I, have, I didn't do much of that this, this week, but in the past, I've been fascinated with um, the growth of the funeral home movement. And mm. I, again, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I'm not railing against the funeral home movement, but I'm talking about like sort of um, sociologically and culturally how we have shifted our approach to death and um, end of life rituals mm. that really smooth that stuff out. And we are more and more removed from death. Um, so the more actually, uh, I was reading about this at some point a couple of years ago, the more that you watch deaths, murders, whatever on TV, it's not that they become more real, they actually become less real. It, yeah, creates, yeah. it creates a gap so that when you see it in real person and uh, you're, you're far more uh, desensitized yeah. to it, um, even through our consumption. Anyway, this is a whole nother track, but I think a Christian anthropology talks a lot more about death and suffering than what uh, modern Westerners uh, yeah. how, how our approach to death and suffering is, but it's been what you've just described as you buffer and buffer and buffer uh, uh, against these things. Yeah, we've got, I mean, we've really put it off in the hospitals and, and, and all kinds of places where it's not around us. And we sort of get the idea that it won't happen to us. I think Yeah, we probably don't all believe that, but we live day by day, like it probably sure. won't. But yeah. I, I think, I think of, you know, Jesus facing this absurdity um, in the garden of Gethsemane, which I know we've returned to a lot in this, in this discussion mm -hmm. of Genesis. It seems mm -hmm. like, to me, this points more to that moment than I think I would have thought previously. Like this, mm -hmm. when Jesus actually wrestles in the garden, I know the Catholics actually see the Garden of Gethsemane as the garden recapitulated, and yeah, they sort of right. imagine Satan there around Jesus' feet, yep. tempting him not to go to the yep. cross. That's not yep. in the text anywhere. No. But at the same time, I think it's a is, it's a holy imagination for something, so, <laughs> though. Yeah, right. sanctified but, but, imagination. But there's in, what they I think the Catholics have right is this is all this is all of the absurdity of a fallen world coming to a point and mm -hmm. it's interesting at that moment maybe jesus laughter is not the right word but mm -hmm. sweat blood and doubt certainly are right you know and to right. say well he's the god of the universe he doesn't but then he does say and if we take yeah. his word seriously I, I would rather not do this i mm -hmm. i do not want what's about to come right and, and there and there there is you know even if we can somehow temporarily avoid what seems like the absurdity of this world it seems like our savior would not he, he did right. not avoid it he could have called down a legion of angels at any time yeah it would have been done well it's interesting i mean you think about the garden of gethsemane if he had capitulated to the absurdity perhaps he would have laughed but because he would not capitulate yeah. to the absurd absurdity of life being brought out of death which i think is the building block and right. and the thing that's carried through all of this is God brings life out of death. Um, but because he wouldn't capitulate to that, he's weeping because he knows what that will cost. And he yeah. knows he's facing the reality of it um, 
in profound ways. Yeah. 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 And he's not, he's not avoiding it. And if, and if we're called to follow him, we're, we're all being drawn into exactly mm -hmm. that thing. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, even, and I, I do, I, I say that tongue in cheek in one sense, but it does feel like we've, we've worked so hard to remove the absurdities from our context, which I think in a lot of ways is good. We don't want people to suffer, but there's this really interesting side cost that Jesus's own solution to it doesn't seem to be all that necessary under most mm. circumstances. I mean, mm. I, you know, yeah. I can take care I of myself pretty, pretty well. Yeah, right. Absurdity can be avoided in most instances. Yeah. And I think what, you, what you're saying here about her laughter was, and something that I really drew out of the sermon was almost the necessity of pulling back those silly blinders mm -hmm. to see this mm -hmm. is far more absurd than I've given it credit for. Like I need yeah. to do that in order to get where Sarah is. It almost seems right. like I've got to grow to get to where Sarah is. I, I don't know that yeah. I look down on her for laughing. I wonder, I don't even think I'm that mature yet. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Because if, if you can't get to that place to really wrestle with the absurdity, then you've probably never really wrestled with the glory of <laughs> the, the redemption. You've never, if, if you can't grasp the absurdity, then you can't grasp the redemption. And I'm not saying that any of us are able to grasp it perfectly, but we have to at least you know, sit in that room and wrestle with that rather than just, oh yeah, well, I'm longing for heaven or, or whatever. You know, there has to, it has to go deeper than that for us or well, you know, we will be yeah, put off. It does. And what, one thing that occurred to me, I know you didn't say it quite this way, but it was kept resonating with me as you were talking through this idea of absurdity is that there's a, there's a, there's not a, there's not a smooth transition from the experience I know and what I have mm. to the redemption. It always seems like what God is going to give us is more of what we've got. We've got a lot. You just don't have enough goodness, uh, enough morality. You know, it's, it, right. it's all on a line. It's just you're not. Yeah. And I think that's the modern. But what seemed, what you seem to be drawing us back into is there's no way to go from Abraham mm -hmm. to Isaac. Mm -hmm. There's no way. Yeah. The system itself does not contain right. the potential, the ability, the, the anything. Yeah. And I think sometimes for me, that's a, something that I've got to really face. And even when people die in my own my own circumstance and you know as mm -hmm. i'm getting older it's happening more right it just seems like wait a minute that's out of whack no that is the whack that is actually what's going on right, right? but i i yeah. expect god to be able to be smooth transition from where i am now mm -hmm. to the promise and that's not what you're saying at least it's yeah. not what it seems like you're saying yeah i, I mean it's the <laughs> the whole image of apocalypse uh, apocalypse the yeah, the shaking right. of everything and yeah we don't we want it to be sort of this you know, escalator smooth in a sense. And that's yeah. just not death is always death and life always comes out of death. I mean, Jesus, the, the whole pattern of new creation is death and then life it's right. down and then up. And that's a jarring and, and incredibly um, painful uh, thing to experience is so here, here's the thing, Luke. Death is incapable of resurrection. Mm. Life, mm. life is incapable. Life is incapable. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, this is to me where, where the real rub comes is even in our Christianity, we always think we've got most of what we need or something, but what we're actually looking for is nothing we can produce. It's nothing the body can, right. it's nothing we morally can produce. It's, right. it's not totally, it's not antithetical to who we are, oppositional, mm -hmm. but in one sense, it's not continuous with who I yeah. am. My life is not capable of resurrection that has to come from outside which i think is your point with 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 adam with abraham and sarah mm -hmm. you've got death 
Right. I'm going to ask there'll be no phallic metaphors for resurrection at this point. <laughs> yes, yes. I think there was a little bit of <laughs> tongue-in-cheek sideways glances going on there, but... You know. On the nose a little <laughs> That's bit. That's a word. I, uh, but uh, just keep in mind, brothers and sisters, that this went through an editing process. So what <laughs> what was given was not what was edited. Even I ran there were things edited uh, out is what. Yes. You're saying. Yeah. That's all I'm trying to say is there were things. But I, again, I the reason why I did sort of what I did with Abraham um, and, and all of that was to say, Friends, these were real people with real problems. I wanted us to feel the humanity. I'm not afraid of talking about the humanity of these stories. And I think in some sense, I don't want to be crass or cheap or, um, you know, junior high in my sense of humor. Well, okay, maybe I do <laughs> have bit. some of those streaks. But, <laughs> but I think um, it's really important that we establish a connection with the humanity yeah. of Abraham and Sarah and the impossibility of, of, of all of that in order to help feel the absurdity, I think. And that was, that was the point. And yeah, I think um, I could, well, no, I'm not going to read some of my <laughs> edited lines here, but uh, they're fun. And if you want to hear some of them, you know, take me out and buy. And me I'm not saying that there was or wasn't things said in this podcast that Keith edited out either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Whatever's been said here is for public consumption. So that's right. Be safe at this that's point. right. But, but that yeah, but, impossibility but, yeah. and that death had yeah, to be felt, I think. Right. And then, then, then this really, and I think this goes back to what you were just saying, which I think is really helpful. And that is that if you, it's, it's almost like this inverse problem. If you're not aware of the absurdity, it's that really haven't looked at the glory of God. And in one sense, inversely, if we've really looked at the glory of God, wouldn't we see this as actually absurd and right. be far more offended, which I think is what Christ is sort of showing us because he knows that his mm. offense is not at God's plan, his offense is at death, his offense mm -hmm. is at evil. And, yeah. and, I, and it's really interesting to take it that way, because how many times in our own lives are we really dismissive of evil things and really offended at God's judgmentalism sometimes? Mm. Like, come on, God, really, you're going to yeah. get upset about this? It's such... But if we really understood the glory of God, like mm -hmm. Isaiah does, mm -hmm. he would really truly, we would really truly see, oh, how absurd this yeah. is. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading a book right now. Um, do I have it with me? I do. It's actually something that we'll be hearing about um, more in the, in the next few weeks here at Wheatland because um, uh, we're, we're thinking about using this as our discipleship, you know, how we sort of try to identify mm -hmm. a, uh, one thing that the church can kind of do together in our discipleship, mm -hmm. uh, and growth. And it's a book that came out maybe two years ago by a fellow named Dane Ortland, who is a, a minister in the PCA. It's entitled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And, um, a lot of it is reflections on the work of some Puritans. Um, uh, Thomas Godwin, spelled Goodwin, but I think it's pronounced Godwin, um, and, uh, and, and just other Puritans who really grasped onto this idea of holding together the heart of God for sinners and sufferers, and at the same time, the glory and the majesty and and the justice of God mm. for those who will not um, come to Jesus and and it's and I think this is going to be one of those things where 
I think will be really helpful for us because it helps us bring these two jarring bits together into the person of Jesus Christ in a really beautiful and helpful way. And uh, I'm excited for us to do it. But um, he says this, um, when when we're imagining who God is, um, we we have to be able to connect his supreme holiness with his refusal to come to his people in wrath not the world in wrath, but in his own people in wrath. And um, he, he goes to this text in Isaiah, uh, or, or in Hosea, I should say, where um, he says, my people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the most high, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the holy one in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Now, this is talking to his people, but it's holding together. I I will not execute my burning anger. Like all of this is together. The burning anger is there, and yet he will not execute it against his own people. It's just this glorious, beautiful thing that I think we're children in, in grasping yet. And I'm, I think there's some of that in, in what we were thinking about on Sunday. Yeah, and, and, and you, you, you brought up the term, I think, honesty, or maybe you didn't use the word transparency, but there's something mm-hmm. in this exchange between the Lord and Sarah, which seems to get at a willingness to be honest, or at least Sarah's lack of willingness to be honest, right. although right. God called her out on it. Yeah, he... Yes, yeah, willingness to be honest in the face of this. Yeah, and I think I think what it, I think what I was trying to do, is to get us to see that at least for my reading of the text, God is leading Sarah out of that hiddenness of her laughter, where she sort of says to herself and she hides behind the tent. He he makes it a point to lead her out of that hiddenness of it to say, "Hey, sister." I know that you're laughing. Yeah. Don't deny it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying stop laughing, but what I'm saying is stop denying yeah. that this is really crazy stuff that you've been promised. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, there's where I find real resonance with Sarah. And mm. I, I think I've probably been a little critical of her for doing that. And now I'm kind of jealous, actually. Yeah. Isn't <laughs> um, that interesting? Yeah. yeah. I wish I'd like to come to the point where I'm willing to see it just that we cling so hard that, that we've got that we can fix the, we can make this better. We can, mm. and, and we've always got to blend this idea of effort to work towards something that's good right. and a willingness right. to admit that we're, this is not ours to fix and not ours to repair. And right. you have, you can't have either one of those without the other in some way, but yeah, but Sarah is is willing to go into the tent with the you know Alexa playing the soft jazz with Abraham. <laughs> right. So she's willing yeah, to that's... do something about it. Right. Um, which I don't know how what experience that must have been like. Yeah. But at the same time, this willingness to say, yeah, and I know this is totally absurd yeah. that what God's promising is outside of the ability of death to bring. And mm-hmm. and I'm a little jealous of that. I wonder. I wonder in my own life that I don't. I don't know if I think I like to smooth over all of the incongruities and inconsistencies and go. No, I I think this is okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We really, is. we really want a coherence that is actually isn't on offer for us. Right. 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 Coherence. Um, like the story of redemption is coherent, but how that story comes about 
is not congruous with our experience. It's, it's not, it's not, it's totally not. And I, maybe the only, maybe one of the real problems of being a modern Christian is that's our, that's our, one of our number one struggles is trying to get, trying to unpa- get rid of all sorts of facade that we've, we've got built all rather beautiful yeah. facade, I must say. Yeah. And, and oh, not, yeah. not one I want to walk away from. No, but at the same time, facade nonetheless, because yeah. it's covering up the true realities, which are absurd. Maybe. And maybe I wonder, Dan, now that you brought that out, I wonder if that's what I was trying to say with that little story I shared about seeing the mom um, grab her little toddler and be and be pretty rough with him in a way that it just seemed incredibly unfair and unfitting, and mm. certainly against my own sensibilities as a father and. God knows I am not perfect. And, but like, when you're faced with something like that, you have to realize that that sort of thing is not getting fixed mm. on, on, I mean, th- this sort of stuff is going on in all sorts of quiet places. And even if you could say something in that moment to, to, to speak into that situation, there's, I, I don't know, the, just the enormity and the, yeah, yeah. and the, and the pervasiveness of brokenness and and anger and 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 sadness in our world you you have to see that there's only one thing and that doesn't say we don't create societies for the propagation of good parenting or whatever it is you know all, all right, of that right. is good and important work but however much work we do it will never fix the the prof- the profound um brokenness that is present in our world there we have to be looking towards something else yeah and we and there's there is a sense and they, you know maybe maybe it would help to to broaden by by coming up with more metaphors broken is the one we always tend to land yeah. on which is it's it's a shockingly modern way of looking at things right things are supposed mm-hmm. to work and then they don't work right right right, right. <laughs> yeah. so it's just a, it's a broken dish so, so if i yeah. if i had super glue could that yeah could that right you yeah, know, as if, if I, that would, if I had to JB right. weld, could I yeah. unbreak it? Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I mean, that's one metaphor, but twisted, um, contaminated, yeah. um, everything, you know, C.S. Lewis, you know, made this one statement one time that if you look at the world, you either assume it just isn't built yet or that it's degraded from something that was once wonderful. And he said, mm. if you really dig into your conscience, you'd admit that this is something that's degraded from something that was once wonderful and it yeah. doesn't have it in it anymore. It's almost like a, right. it's like a dead body or like a, yeah. the parts are there, but it does, there's something that it can't have. And I think death is the ultimate metaphor for all of that brokenness certainly gets at it, but death yeah. is, and that's a point you made. You, you can call this that you can sort of broken biology or, or, or worn out cells in, in Abraham. Let's call it what it actually is. This is death. Yeah. Right. And death. Death. and death. Right. And death Hopelessness is and death. Yeah. Right. And ultimately, brokenness is a fine way of saying it. But this is death, quite frankly. Yeah. And and death is what and I think that's what Paul's getting at in one sense, saying all the this is all there are all just two masters in this world. Mm-hmm. There's either death or there's Christ. That that's yeah. your choice. You can call any other God. You can call science, technology, penicillin, all this great stuff. Yeah. But it's ultimately going to serve Christ or death is really the only two options. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I was um, in scrutiny. I was wrestling with this i finally cut it because the sermon was getting kind of long and bloated but um in 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 lewis's book uh screw tape letters at, at one point uh he's coaching you know the 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 junior demon yeah um on how to produce what to do with the um the the patient's fatigue 
And he says, you must feed him with false hopes. And I just thought that's really interesting. So he says, what you want to do is exaggerate his weariness by making him think it will be over soon. Uh, he, he says, let his inner resolution be not to bear whatever come to, comes to him, but to bear it for a reasonable period, and then let the reasonable period be shorter than the actual trial is likely to last. And, and I just think that um, it, that's a really interesting insight into, well, of course, that's what Lewis was, was so gifted at anyway, right. is that what, uh, what I think we tend to do is to build up some false promises, some false hopes in this. And that's what I was sort of hoping to do is like, let's not have any false hopes about the absurdity of the situation. This idea that the world is not getting better and better under its own innovation and its own right. power. No, let, uh, look, we, we all want progress and we all want to be more and more human, not less and less human, but let's not, let's not give in to any of these false hopes because in the end, that is, that's the sort of thing that um, I think causes real burnout and real um, walking away from the faith is, is some of the false hopes that sometimes we tend to look towards. And, and I think maybe that's what you're getting at when you talk about how important it is to embrace this absurdity. If, you're, if, you, embrace, um, if you embrace alternative uh, ways to fix the absurdity or, or to smooth over the incongruencies in the end that's going to crack and that's going to fall away right yeah, yeah. yeah. but I, and that that is really the you know the i didn't say the sin I, I always hate saying pride is the sin yeah sin is just not in agreement with with god as your king and savior but but the point is there is this sin of impatience that that and that's probably where i found most of my identity with israel and mm. even the church the fathers of is impatience has defined us that Mm -hmm. you know, God, and this is what you were getting at this whole day, idea of using Hagar and, you know, the promise is there and it's just not getting done. And how many promises of justice do we, how we have, that's, that's probably core to who we are as human beings. And yet mm -hmm. we constantly find ways to, you know, to circumvent God's plan on that. Um, yeah. you know, and, and I think this is what Israel does with, with idolatry, which again, I've said this before, but it sounds so bizarre to us. It really is not bizarre at all. It's <clears throat> Listen, right. these are the ways these things get done. Why wait for a God who could be silent for 40 years when right. there's ways to get this done? Rain, rain. Yeah. Baal has do been doing good things in the world yeah, for a long time. We know how this works. It's yeah. not hard to figure out. Science these, cut cut open these goat intestines and read the livers or whatever they, you know. Well, we've been doing yeah. it for hundreds of years and it's, right. it's pretty predictable down to a percentage point. So why are we messing around with, and, and it, yeah. you know, to me, there's a symmetry because Similarly, now, you know, we impatiently want to, we define goodness as fixing these problems, not mm -hmm. goodness as enduring and bringing love. I, and mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I say this to students when I, when I bring this up and I say, you know, if you're, if you're going to give water to someone that's thirsty, you're not ending thirst. Hmm. You're not, mm -hmm. you're not. And, and then how many, how many people that Christ fed starved to death or died later mm -hmm. on? Well, they all died later on. So yeah. Jesus wasn't yeah. ending hunger. What he was pointing to is he was the bread of life. Yeah. And, and somewhere in there, it gives us a chance to say, we have to be active about these things. Sarah still right. needs to go in and uh, do what she's got to do with Abraham. Right. But nonetheless, the life that's going to come is, n is nothing that they produce. Yeah. Nothing that they do is the life. And that yeah. somewhere in that tension mm. is how we live faithfully. Right. Not being the ones to bring it. I think Paul, you know, we plant and water, but God always brings the increase. Yeah, sure. Somehow in there is faithful living, which is not 
ending the absurdity, but being faithful yeah. in it. Yeah, and 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 that 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 last part about being faithful in the absurdity. One of the things that I felt like I really wanted to stress was that your struggle in the midst of the absurdity is not an inappropriate talking point in your right. life right. of faith with God. It, it's right. not the appropriate thing isn't to do to just like suck it up and deal with it. The appropriate thing to do is to do what Abraham does, fall on your face laughing in the presence of God. Um, because that is what, as you said earlier, relationship really is. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you, you've said something in here which really snapped for me. Um, and um, I, I've used the metaphor with you sometimes, fireworks. I can't always connect mm-hmm. the firework yeah. <laughs> sequences uh-huh. in my mind sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I can. Um, but this one really became quite a firework for me. And that is you know, there's, there's ways of talking about this facing the absurdity thing. Christ did it, so we imitate him. That's valid, noble, of course. We want to do what yeah. Christ did. We face the absurdity because it's real. Mm-hmm. But you you made this point that, that I have read all over my notes about, and that is that one of the reasons to face the absurdity, and, or, or maybe the reason why the fall always leads to absurdity, is because there's always going to be a tension between the world as it is in a broken state, decayed state, death state, whatever you want to call it, and the power of God. And, mm-hmm. and you seem to make, you made this statement. I don't know if I have the right words down because my mind started going all over the place. Mm-hmm. Because the idea that the, abs- the absurdity of facing absurdity is the way, and I, and I, I don't know if I'm wrong about that, mm-hmm. is the way to finally come face to face with the power of God. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, if you mm-hmm. think that this is fixable and mm-hmm. it's just the right application of strength, policy, leverage, electricity, whatever, then God's power is really just you know, he basically is going, yeah, I, I was going to take, I was going to show you how to solve the Rubik's cube, but you figured it out. So you did. Right. Good. Right. Or you're only in that one block away, but we're, but, but to face the absurdity is the way to finally mm-hmm. come face to face with the absolute omnipotent power of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And that, that tension for me is so beautiful because yeah. there's lots of reasons to face the absurdity, but so that I might know him mm-hmm. gives me mm-hmm. a whole nother motivation for doing that. Yeah. No, I think that is when that when I got to that question, when I got to that question of the Lord coming back to address Sarah's laughter and his response to it being, is anything too hard for the Mm -hmm. Lord? That hit me upside the head like like a baseball bat, because, yeah, I think what I was trying to say is that without her laughter, which is a crisis, right? That's what we're saying. Her laughter is a crisis. She has finally come to face the crisis of the world and her body and the situation as it really is. Without that laughter, that hopelessness, that despair, in a sense, she can't really hear the question, is anything too hard for the Lord, in the depth and the profundity in which it's asked. It's, It's when she is dead in a sense yeah that she can hear that in a new way yeah that's a that's a transforming question it really is and 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 this this really recalibrates doubt in a way and i uh, I think it was maybe it was here um back when bruce was preaching when i heard one of the best statements about doubt is doubt is fine as long as it takes you back to scripture not away Mm -hmm. i i return to that statement very frequently so i'm very thankful for giving me that Mm -hmm. this takes it just slightly step further that that doubt is not something that will happen once in a while and when it does 
but doubt in one sense is something to pursue mm -hmm. because it's only in the doubt that we see the absurdity that we finally see the glory of God for who he is, yeah. which quite frankly makes a lot of sense of, of Genesis 22, which I know is where you're headed. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense of Gethsemane. It makes so much, mm. just, there's so many yeah. things you talked about these improbable, every, yeah. impossible. I would have used a different word. Yeah. Impossible, impossible birth birth. stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a lovely way that that puts a uh, exclamation point and an underline oh on it when you talk about it that way, Dan. I think that's actually even clarifying from the sermon. But yeah, you see that <laughs> at all of these big crisis points. So you mentioned Genesis 22. Um, yeah, we're going to go there uh, this Sunday. Now, again, this is going to be not a sermon. It's because it's lessons and carols. It'll be a briefer reflection. So actually, I'm afraid it'll probably be way more work because I only have like <laughs> 10 or 15 minutes <laughs> to say something. Prep for that's going to be insane. Oh, brutal. Yeah. Uh, but I, I may have to access uh, some of the stuff that I know you did in this forthcoming Advent book that you've you've written um, that will be out for us next year. But uh, be that as it may, I got to go back and read your article on Genesis 22 there. But what it what has jumped out to me, and I've only just begun to read the text over and over, is that the whole story is set as a test by Yahweh for Abraham. And to me, that is mm -hmm. profound. Yeah. Uh, did, uh, did you really get the idea of resurrection from the last go round because here's your chance to, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> to We're really double down you, on that. Yeah. Yeah. This is what yeah. we call, this is what we call um, scaffolding in the education world. Mm. You scaffold all the skills and talents yeah. you need so that when the real test comes, you can there you go. accomplish it. There um, you go. And that, but, yeah. Uh, yeah go but ahead. again, Jesus has his own, um, right. of course, moment in Gethsemane, as you've already mentioned, which I think is this lovely um, counterpoint to this. Right. And do I, you I embrace resurrection? Right. Do you do embrace the absurdity? Because unless you do, you're not going to know how powerful I actually am. Mm -hmm. And I like and I when you said that, my mind immediately went to this conversation Jesus has with the Pharisees um, when they try to test him. And, you know, you know, fine. This is you can see this is just a dumb test. They're just trying to push Jesus's buttons. Yeah. I don't think Jesus treats it that way. I think treat, Jesus sees it as as the heart root of them not willing to face the absurdity of resurrection. I mean, if we're mm -hmm. going to put it in these terms, mm -hmm. they look at this and they go. One woman, seven different husbands, who's he going to marry? That's to him. That's not just a dumb test. You're actually getting at the heart now because you are not willing to face the awfulness of death and what mm. it really means to ruin hopes and ambitions and lives. Mm. And then Jesus responds to him because I, I often say that the response seems it's almost like pulling out a, um, a piece of artillery against a dagger. <laughs> you didn't need to go there. Yeah. Jesus goes, you know, not the scriptures nor the power of God. Like, mm. And, mm. and I, as you were saying, I thought that that makes so much sense of why mm. he answered it. Yeah, that's really I want you to I'm not saying you should like not look at the death problem. You've just looked at it and you have not looked at it hard enough. Right. <laughs> right. If you, you really did, you know, the real question is, is God yeah. powerful? That's the whole question. Yeah. You've attended. Yeah. You've attended uh, a modern Western funeral in a funeral home that's all dressed up and you right, slipped in the right. back and then you slipped out and you never went up and looked at the dead body. You didn't, <laughs> right. you didn't, you didn't wash the body after it was dead. Didn't and stay didn't in your house for a couple days yeah. on the kitchen table. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, that, and that's where it leaves us. But I, yep. But to pull these two things together the way you did, I just found really life-giving. Good. I think to, yeah. Because yeah. I, because I think even as we as we moderns, again, face a lot of this stuff, we're going to be tempted to smooth it over. Mm -hmm. And then it's interesting. We only find God's power when he saves us from it. Right. 
you know, God's really power. And I'm, that's not, not, not true. And when he saves us from sickness and illness and, and financial degradation, you know, degradation, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. that's all, that's all God's real goodness. But we always say, and this is what you hear the world say, well, God, you know, if God's powerful, why does he let people die? Yeah. It's, it's in a sense to ask the wrong question. Mm-hmm. It's, if you face death, you'll finally come face to face with the power of God. That, right. Like, holy mackerel, that's a whole other way to look at this. <laughs> that's lovely. I'm not saying it's an apologetic yeah. wonder. It's just a whole right. other way. Well, I, I mean, I do think, you know, yeah, it, it's not a silver bullet in apologetics, but at the right. end of the day, if what we're really holding on to is, is like I said at the end, that God has promised to do for the world what he's done for the dead Jesus on Easter morning, if that's actually what's going to happen, you have to ask different questions. Right. You can't just focus on why, you know, I, those are important questions. We sit with them, we wrestle with them, but there's something else going on that we have yeah. to, you know, Mm. Yeah, and, and being willing to say, and I, you know, this is, we've talked health and wealth gospel and all of this, but evangelicals, I think, sometimes tend to try to turn, if, if to prove God's true is to, is to show that he's really interested in you not going through these difficulties, and, you know, God mourns, he does, he mourns, he weeps for Lazarus, yeah. not to say that yeah. he doesn't, but at the same time, it's the, it's the awfulness of death, and it, it, it's really even in that moment, too, he, he's not actually yeah. doing it for Lazarus, I do this so that you might know, right, right? Um, it's about his power. And yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think it, I think modern Westerners, all of us included, are going to have a tough yeah. time with God because we have not faced the absurdity mm-hmm. of this broken death world. Mm-hmm. We don't have to. Yeah, exactly. We will. We will at some point. And then we've yeah. got a real psychological crisis to go through. Yeah. And well, crisis. shoot, Dan, uh, the last year and a half has been a psychological, yeah. at least in my experience, yeah. with the pandemic and, and all sorts of forms of death and and oppression, whether actual or perceived, um, it all has been a psychological trial for all of us, brothers and sisters. And so, yeah, it, and that's just a pale comparison of, right. of the actual absurdity and awfulness of right. death. Yeah. Yeah. And you think of, you know, this is not, God's not afraid of deserts and broken places and, mm-hmm. you know, but he wants us. And I, I was praying with my girls last night, just, you know, cause I, we're, we're going to go through difficulties. I know we are, it's not a matter mm-hmm. of when to see those as actually God's good gift in some way, which is something that I don't know existentially. I know theologically, right. right. My suffering has been very slight in this world. So I don't, mm-hmm. I, I'm no mm-hmm. authority on this whatsoever, but to know people who have, there was uh, just watching this uh, documentary, uh, the American Gospel, which I thought was really interesting, about how the modern, the first one's about the health wealth gospel, okay, and how evangelicals sh- should not to respond to that, um, yeah. Benny Hinn stuff and all that, mm-hmm. um, and then the uh, then the other, the second one is about the the, the more progressive gospel, um, you know, the, the deconstructionists as as they're calling themselves, yeah. Now. Um, yeah, and what it looks at, one of them is the guy that used to be the spokesman for CrossFit, and his um, he, he comes out uh, with certain things and gets him fired. And now he, you know, and he's a devout Christian now reformed guy and his wife who came to Christ because her husband came to Christ and she's dying of cancer. I believe it's cancer, but the, the point that they say there, and I've heard this before, is he says bluntly right at the camera, if you said, I'll, you could go back to when your wife did not suffer like this. He said, I would not go back hmm. because I have known more about God and who he wants me to be and who he is to me and my family mm-hmm. because of her suffering than I ever, which again, I can't fathom what he means by that. Right. But, but I, but I think there's some, there's some, to me, that's like the, the rubber meets the road of what we say about this, because 
he's facing the absurdity of all of this. And that's only finally taught him about the power of God. Mm. It's only finally mm. taught him who God is, which is not what evangelicals tend to say. Mm -hmm. If God really loves you, he'll make sure you don't, you get out of the hospital and he'll make right. sure this all works out. Right. That's not what he says to Sarah. <laughs> mm -mm. Like there's mm -mm. a tension between the promise and the fulfillment just yeah. seems to be absurd. Yeah. And, and I think um, that's sort of where I wanted to, land this sermon on Sunday was, friends, we have to hear Jesus asking us this in our own moments. Is anything yeah. too yeah. hard? Right. For the right. Lord? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a call for us to hear that question as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was lovely. I, I, um, I, I landed on that just a big box. I've got what is too hard for God. I, I think mm. that's the, yeah. And if we, if we go to what Advent is, I think that's such a wonderful way to encapsulate yeah. the whole thing, because I think that's yeah. Because then all the quickly, sudden, I love that we're moving from what is is anything too hard for the Lord. For all of the sudden, the answer that God gives to nothing is too hard for the Lord is not just nothing is too hard for the Lord. The answer He gives is incarnation, yeah. and that to me has so much pastoral stuff in it that um be, because he doesn't just give a pie in the sky sort of answer but it's a coming to us it, the answer is nothing is too hard for the lord and so the lord will in for the glory that was set before him endure the cross and right. and take on all of this for us and for our salvation and to me that's a beautiful a beautiful answer the incarnation yeah, one, of, one of the things i've gotten out of your series in this is thinking of the scriptures not i don't want to say lively it's a mosaic mm -hmm. but i think there's a similarity between that and a painting where you can say i could analyze the, i can analyze a raphael transfiguration of my favorite paintings mm. i can analyze it chemically and i can see there's colors and lines mm -hmm. and that's true but as you get a little deeper into oh why that color and oh look at that face and it just gets deeper and deeper and that's only one man just trying to capture a theological moment mm. but the scriptures you know i think sometimes the evangelicals want to say it's truth is only to the degree that i can understand it Right. So say, well, I, you know, I, I know what all of this means now, but I think the encouragement here is to let the scriptures simply just become that beautiful, complex, yeah. deeper than I can really get my mind around mm. and let that form me. And I think this is something you've been saying for a while is that it yeah. needs to form us, not be something that we can nail down, explain, mm -hmm. apologetically prove. Right. It's a formational thing. And I, yeah. I just have felt that in your, in your sermon series. Yeah, that's that I'm. I am so convinced that, well, you, you articulated it as, as well as I ever could, is that we can go through and we can talk about this and that, but almost always we have not sat with the scriptures in the beautiful power. I mean, they are the living word of God is, is basically it. And to come back to that and not just give lip service to that, but to say, the way in which these things are put together are beyond uh, beyond anything that we could ever ever imagine or prescribe. This is this is amazing. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, it's wonderfully formational, and I and I really appreciate Luke. That was a, I say I was telling uh, I think talking to Barry afterwards, and I said, yeah, the first part of the sermon, I was like, I don't know where this is going. I couldn't get <laughs> I couldn't get the pieces. I could, but uh, by the end, it all snapped together really well. And I'm not good. sure if that was a rhetorical strategy or not but I no, think probably not i'm not that smart it's just <laughs> finally i was able to say what i was trying to say the whole time <laughs> well i'm grateful you did it it gave yeah. words for things that i've been wrestling through myself yeah. and good 
you know, I think it comes back to something you talked about a long time ago, and that is hope. Um, mm. Even talking about that a little bit in um, in the C.S. Lewis piece, but real hope and true hope um, is not a a airy, um, you know, I don't know, over yeah, overconfident. Ethereal, right. Yeah, I just I just need hope. I think that's how the world sometimes mm-hmm. visions. hope is a very gritty thing. It's a yeah, it's a willingness to look at the ugliness and evilness of everything yeah. and take it for what it is. Yeah. Which really leaves us exactly where he left the Pharisees. Either you know the power of God, or you don't know the brokenness of this world. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's where, yeah exactly. That's where you're at. Yep. And I think that's where our secular world is. They've got mm. a world that's not really broken. It's just slightly out of tune. Mm-hmm. I think they, they think they can keep tuning it. Right. You know, right. Builds in the anxiety. How come we haven't gotten it yet? One more tuning. I swear this time we're going to get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just doesn't land us there. Hmm. So that was exciting. And then this next week, you're taking us into Revelation 22. So that's going to be a hard Genesis 22. I'm sorry, Genesis 22 yeah. is going to be a hard, a hard yeah. step. Yeah, I, I, I have, I actually don't know exactly uh, what I want to say in the 10 or 12 minutes that I have in the midst of our <laughs> lessons and carols. Well, and it's lesson carols, so it's supposed to be this happy, you know. Yeah, well, um, yeah, uh, that's a good point. Almost be better, yeah. better just before Easter than it would be. For, yeah, for exactly. Christmas exactly yeah well we who knows let's let's say maybe it'll be genesis 22 maybe it'll be something else yeah that'll be tough to pare down in just a few mm-hmm. minutes um, yeah but yeah. I, it's contextual it's it's sort of embedded in this wonderful time yeah. where we can actually sing through our joy and yeah and waiting and That's, all of that it's lovely yeah, yeah yeah i really appreciate it so thank you luke for the sunday i know that yeah just to encourage you i know that i i heard feedback across Several different people that felt this really sat well. Um, it really encouraged them. It really challenged them. So the spirit well, always is, does more than we do. But yeah, that is encouraging. And Dan, you know, you you've done this with us and for us. You know what a great joy and what a great gift it is mm-hmm. to sit with the scriptures and have them um, cut you open right, and open right. you up in new ways. And um, I, yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, I spent a lot of time weeping this past week, um, just overcome by some of this stuff in my, I, I don't think anybody was in the office, but if they, they did, they probably would have called uh, a counselor or a therapist and said, what's going on up there? Uh, you know, somebody needs to talk to this guy, but no, there's some profound things in there to wrestle with and, and to, to get the joy to do that. Um, what a gift. What a oh, gift. And, right. and, and, and to share it with people who are, who love, who love the scriptures and, and uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a joy to be here in this place. It is, it is. It's a, it's the body of Christ in all mm. of its, all of its grandeur and glory and brokenness and wonder. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you, Pastor Luke. Look forward. All right, to my brother. Thank you, Dan. Bye-bye. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.